Says, get that India, big boy. G'day, ladies and gents. We're back for another episode of the Tip Sheet, another one on location at Parramatta Leagues Club as we get ready for the run to round one and then a round two home game. Sorry. Um, joining me as always is my good mate 60s, 60s champ, good to have you on board. Mate, it's fan- fantastic to be here, thanks for that intro. And we're starting off with some big news, and of course, first of all, there's the big news from out in Eels territory, where we've had sponsorship added from McDonald's and from Torbman's Paints. And of course, we've got big news in the land of the Cumberland Throw, because right now at the moment, we're recording in Eels Lane outside Parramatta Leagues Club, the home of the Eels. And the reason that we're doing that is that next week, just before the very first game at Bankwest Stadium against the Melbourne Storm, between 4 and 5.30, the Cumberland Throw will be coming to you live from Eels Lane. We'll have special guests and we will be part of the big afternoon of entertainment at Parramatta Leagues Club leading into that first game. But in the meantime, we do have this week's podcast, so let's get on with the business of talking about footy. Yeah, it's another massive episode, mate, so let's dive into it. It's a great honour for us to welcome our next guest. Like us, he's a Parramatta tragic. Like us, he hosts a podcast, but I think I'll stop daring to make any comparisons there because he's a professional journalist, an author, a live sport commentator, a reporter, a TV presenter, an MC. Look, basically, if it's communications, he's your man. And his latest production is a tribute to the Eels' 1986 Premiership. Adam Hawes, thanks for joining the tip sheet. No, it's my pleasure, and I'm glad to see you got my intro I sent to you. (laughs) (laughs) Very kind. The bank account details are um, in transit, mate, so you can make that transfer after the podcast. (laughs) All right, Adam. It's it's my pleasure to join. uh, Always good to chat with a couple of fellow Eels. That's it, mate. It is an absolute honour to have you on here. We always love having Eels tragics on the tip sheet. Um, so before we get on to Eels 86, which will be a focus point today, um, can we dig into Adam Hawes, the story behind yourself? Uh, when did the Eels first impose themselves on your life, mate? Well, when I was a young bloke, uh, my old man, he worked uh, for Parramatta City Council as a town planner. So this is back in the glory days, the early to mid-80s for the Eels. So it was a pretty easy decision for me to make because he was a mad Parramatta man himself. So he'd uh, take me along to a few games there at uh, Cumberland and then uh, obviously Belmore and I'm in Parramatta Stadium over in 86, so I was there just about every week. So, yeah, I was a mad keen eel, and even through those dark times, I've, I've stuck solid, and hopefully we'll be celebrating the good times pretty soon. So, doomed, doomed from day dot, right? As far as yeah. uh, commit, committed to the blue and gold, which, you know, has, has had plenty of highs in the past, but, yeah, we're, we're waiting for that break for one now. Yeah, not far away. Mate, similar to you, I I had no, I had no say in... In my support, I had I was born in Parramatta Hospital, and Dad took me along to the game. So uh, it's always hard to pinpoint a favourite Eels moment, but I'm going to try and pin you down. Do you have a favourite Eels moment? Well, it'll be very easy to nominate 81, 82, 83, uh, the, the, the trifecta there of premierships, but how can you go past Lee O'Brien beating Martin Fire in the 1992 <laughs> Super Sprint at Parramatta Stadium? What a 
what a magnificent moment that was. It was full house. I am joking, of course, but it was um, it was something that stays with me. But I mean, it's just an obvious thing to say is that the premiership years and Brett Kenny scoring two tries in the three straight grand finals, robbed of another two in '86. Uh, they're obviously standout memories for any Parramatta fan who goes back that far. That's it, mate. Actually, could I? I'm just going to uh, jump in there because you mentioned that game against the tourish British, uh, touring British side. That was a really unique atmosphere that night with some of the uh, travelling Pommy supporters and their singing in the crowd. It was that was a great night. Yeah, you might remember that year, '92. We were dreadful. Couldn't couldn't win a chook raffle that year. So that was that was a game <laughs> we got up for. And we really stuck it at the bombs. Got the win, 22 to 16, I think. Yeah, there was like 19,000 fans there. And Ryan got the jump on a fire, and um, that just capped it off. Yeah, and uh, were we all heralding Stu Galbraith as the next Peter Sterling back then? (laughs) (laughs) How many new Peter Sterlings have there been? Uh, 78, I think. Yeah, there's been been a few of them. um, It's a a favourite sort of annual headline for the media, isn't it? Because it's sort of such a... A, sort of a testament to the legacy of Sterlow, isn't it? That it, it carries such weight even in, in 2021. There's only one Sterlow. That's true. Uh, so that sort of segues nicely into the next question because Sterlow is a favourite of a lot of people. But um, we recently spoke with Mary Kay, who's another dyed blue and gold tragic, and it sort of inspired this question. Instead of your favourite Eels player, can you tell us about your favourite underrated player? Well, he's a, a guy who played with the likes of Sterling, Kenny... Price, Crane, Ella, Grove, obviously got overlooked a lot of times, but anyone who watched Parramatta realised what an integral part he was of that team in the golden era. You probably already know who I'm talking about. Paul Taylor, the little number one, just phenomenal talent, gave everything every week for Parramatta, always overshadowed by some of those legends, but they wouldn't have swapped him for anyone. Just talking to the guys for the, the documentary, his name got... I mentioned quite a few times. In fact, Sterlow said it should have been Taylor who won the Clive Churchill medal in 1986. Sorry. Uh, that's uh, how good he was that day against the Bulldogs. That's as high a praise as you can get, isn't it, when you've got one of the all-time greats inside your own team saying those sort yeah. of compliments? Exactly. That's how they looked at Paul Taylor. He was just that sort of player, and I wish we had him now, that sort of player who just threw himself at anything that moved and popped up at the right time. And what about that iconic photo of him in the uh, gloom, covered in mud, the mm. the all the old little floodlight in the background, it, magical magical photo. Yeah, the old one from Cumberland Oval that was fantastic, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? I think it was yeah. award winning photo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, just uh, digging back into uh, in into yourself a, a bit here, uh, Adam. Did a love for sport lead you to the media as a way to be involved in sport, or did you always have a passion for a career in the media? No, I wouldn't say I always had a passion for it. I certainly bought Rugby League Week every week. Uh, I would never miss that. I'd be down the news agent first thing Wednesday morning. Uh, so I guess that got me into to media that way. But it was more, yeah, the love of, of Rugby League. I had that from a very young age, as I mentioned earlier. And any Sunday afternoon, you, you wouldn't be able to find me. Well, it, you, if you knew where to look, I'd be in the bedroom just listening to Hollywood and Zorba on uh, 2GB, their calls, I never miss one of them. Um, I'd always tune in. Even if Parramatta was a match of the round, you'd hang out for the round the grounds and try and get the, the score updates. Uh, you'd be biting your nails as they went around to Brookvale or Belmore, whatever it was, to, to check in on the Eels. So I was hooked from a young age. And even in the lean times, I, I'd still um, 
duck away to the room and, and just listen to those broadcasts just to keep up with the eels. And then from there, I think I did work experience at the Hornsby Advocate, and that's probably what got me uh, hooked uh, on the media. I thought this isn't a bad gig, and just went from there. Uh, a couple of things. Sorry, John, if I, can, if I get stuck in there, because it really does bring back great memories of listening to the radio and the around the grounds. Uh, we're so spoilt nowadays with all the coverage that's there of every match, but back in those days, and yeah, you'd be listening to the main call. They'd waiting for the around the grounds for the score update if your your team was playing away from home. It was uh, certainly a different era, wasn't it? Craig, it's one of the things I miss most, to be honest, because all the games were played simultaneously on a Sunday afternoon. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you would just hang out for that every afternoon, even if you're at the ground. If you were watching the Eels at Paris Stadium and they went around and Manly was, say, playing Balmain and Balmain were leading Manly, the, the, the cheers around the ground were definitely <laughs> yeah. because everyone loved to hear that Manly was struggling. And yeah, I do miss that. Uh, it's obviously better to watch all the games on telly, but it was certainly a special time uh, back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah time, times have changed, and it's not just that. You've um, covered a wide range of sports in your career. Um, what makes Rugby League so great and so special for you? Not just, as a, uh, not just for the Parramatta Reels, but the code itself, I suppose. I think the hits, the, the frantic action, the spectacular tries, intensity. I just love the flowing nature of it. It's not stop-start. I played a bit of rugby union as a young bloke. It's just it's too technical. It gets bogged down. It's too stop-start. But the, the league just keeps flowing and it's yeah afl flows i guess too but doesn't have the same sort of body contact that league has that the, gladiatorial aspect that, that's exactly how i've phrased it in the past it, there is that gladiatorial element to league that you know it, it's not a blood sport by any means but there is a physicality and an intensity that is you know i, I watch the nfl and that's sometimes there but it is very stop start and that's part of its quirk but that league combines those two elements of fluidity and and extreme physicality so brilliantly doesn't it yeah, I was worried when they got rid of the shoulder charge. I thought, oh, we're going to lose that element of toughness and um, those spectacular big hits. But I think players have adjusted in the last few years, and I think you're seeing the hits are just as big and just as spectacular. And, yeah, I, I can't get enough, and I can't wait for this weekend. Now, just before we – and we will get on to your thoughts about this weekend and the season ahead, but let's have a bit of a look at this Eels 86, the story of the Eels' last premiership. How did that – project come about? I got a phone call from my old mate, Brian Baker, who has a, a media company. We used to work together at Channel 10. He was a cameraman there. And yeah, he just sort of said, look, why don't we do a documentary on, on the Eels? He knew I was a bit of an Eels tragic. And he was coming more of the angle from the, the whole glory years. And I think between the two of us, we came up with the idea, well, let's narrow it down to 86 because we, we, we hear about this team all the time. How often do you hear it? Oh, Paramount have won since '86. The Eels have won since '86. We hear it all the time. So we thought, well, let's 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 dive into this team. Let's let's talk to the guys that were part of it. What made that year so special? It was also coming off the, the that brilliant NBA series, The Last Dance, Chicago Bulls, mm. which which I thoroughly enjoyed, and thought that I was ever going to replicate that. But what we wanted to do was the same sort of theme they had, which was just hear from the people involved, hear from your Michael Jordan and so forth. And I just because it wasn't going to be narrated by me or anything. It was always going to be just bouncing from one player to the next. Um, so it went from there, and, and, and the, the guys are really open to it. We didn't have any knockbacks. Um, couldn't do the whole team, unfortunately, but we just got um, the guys we thought could add to it, and, yeah, we were really pleased. Yeah, you speak about not having it narrated by you, and you did a terrific job of having the players tell the story of 1986, and there's an art to that, 
But um, did what they shared with you take you down any unexpected directions? Um, yeah, there was a, there was a few surprises along the way, just little things like Sterla was really, um, really emphatic about that pass he threw to Mick Crone in the '86 Grand Final. Of course, Crone had that eye injury through the year, and Sterla sort of caught me by surprise. He was saying, that, you know, if there was one pass I could take back in my whole career, it'd be that one I threw to Crone, and I must admit I couldn't remember it, so I had to go back through the the uh, footage and I found a pass from Stirling to Crona near the trial line and I thought well that's, this is this is what it has to be it's the only one that marries up with what he's talking about and I sent him the clip I said are you sure this is the one he goes yeah that's the one and yeah, on first look it just looks like a normal pass from Stirling to Crona he takes the ball up but if you do slow it down there is I don't think Cronin grasps it cleanly it sort of hits him on the chest before his hands find it yep. and that's I think yep. that's what Stirling was, was talking about that could have gone horribly wrong and uh, he didn't want to put the crow in that position it was just a good thing that uh, Mick caught it. I must admit, when I was watching that, it caught, that caught me by surprise as well because I it just didn't feature in my memory whatsoever. And like you, even watching it, it it took a couple of views to see. Oh yeah, he's it, it wasn't a clean catch. Mm. It could have gone horribly wrong. It might have been a different story in the game, but. The fact that it just registered so strongly with Sterling oh, was yeah. really surprising. And the other thing throughout the interviews was the affection they had for Mick Cronin. I, I knew they loved the Crow. I mean, who doesn't love the Crow? But yeah. they kept going back to how they wanted to do it for him in particular, and Pricey, of course, but also but Mick Cronin, just the way he'd fall back and the way he'd helped all these young backs come through over the years. They wanted to, <clears throat> excuse me, return the favour. And to the point where Brett Kenny actually got choked up talking about the impact Crow had had on his career and um, he had to stop talking there at one point and I remember thinking well he's such an ice cool customer you know he'd always walk out the tunnel and he was never flustered and to see him actually get really emotional to the point of tearing up uh, really hit home to me how much they love the Crow. Well that sort of segues into the next question that I wanted to throw you away because something that shone through strongly for me and it probably shouldn't have been a surprise was the value of mateship did you get a different perspective on that year after and and how the team were as a group of people after spending time with the players? Yeah, absolutely. They were very close, very close. Just the, the talks about Pricey's barbecues where the, you had to bring your own meat and drinks. Um, but yeah, the way they got together, it was like they were describing you know, a park footy team. You know, I played at the park. We used to do that all the time, get together for barbies, yeah. have some beers. Yeah. And that's the way they were talking. And for me, that told me that because they were together for so long, they became a family and families catch up at barbecues all the time. And this is no different uh, with the Eels in, in that generation. And you just, I don't know if you see it as much these days because there's so many chopping and changing of rosters that whether you get that family sort of feel anymore, I don't think it's possible, but certainly Parramatta all through those 80s, there wasn't a lot of, you know, changeover, especially the, the big names. They were there together for a long time. I think they did bond. They became very close. And uh, that's probably why it reflected on the field. And also, also because they're extremely talented, but they played for each other because they were like um, family. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, actually, and just just a, a quick anecdote, we uh, did, our, uh, did a series of interviews with some of the Eels legends. And uh, when we were up at the Bears place and interviewing him and uh, we were about to set up for the uh, the camera to roll 
and he was he was telling a story about the crow. I can't even remember what it was. And then he just went, oh, I must give him a call. And he gave a call just while we were there. <laughs> so it was, as you said, just that, that closeness that's there within the group of players. That, and it extended, obviously, over uh, through those 80s with a lot of them. It's, it's something that still seems to be there strongly with them, even to this day. Yeah, Pricey couldn't wait to talk about the side. I, when I called him, actually, his first words were not "Hello, how are you?" It was, oh, "I'll be waiting for someone to do this." He was he was desperate to talk about that year because it meant so much to him, but also to give all his teammates a rap. And he gave him a few digs too, which showed that there's uh, there was good fun. fun <laughs> that, that's how you know they're good boys. mates too. Is you can it, yeah. take the Mickey out of each other a little bit too, as much exactly. as you pump each other up. Now, Sixties just spoke on it, but you know, at TCT, we also had the pleasure and uh, and honour of sitting down and having some interviews with those legends of the eighties for the club. And um, when we did those interviews with the former greats, um, as much as we loved the content that we were able to present the fans, some of the off-camera stories were sensational. <laughs> so just just a little yes-no for us. Um, were there any great stories that were told to you when the cameras went rolling during the process of Eels 86? Are we talking dodgy stories? <laughs> no, just, just good, great, great rugby league stories that you can't always, uh, can't always put to film. Uh, no, no, I think um, we got the best of it from the boys. We, we put it on camera there. I think... Uh, there was no, um, you know, scandalous little bits of gossip or anything like that. There was, <laughs> no, they, maybe they're too clever for me, but um, no, it was all, all very good from the boys and we tried to get as much on there as possible. No, that's great. And I suppose the, the, the thing that really stood out for us in that process was the banter between the boys is what you actually managed to capture, um, you know, the, the camaraderie um, as much as anything else. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. They're, they're all very tight and, um, well, you if you win four premierships together, you're going to get some sort of a bond, aren't you? Exactly. But, um, but you know, they're right behind the, the current boys too. And that was the thing that flowed through for me, the fact that it wasn't just a recap of 86. Uh, I asked them questions about the team, mm -hmm. the modern team, and they were more than happy to talk about that. It wasn't like they just wanted to talk about themselves. They made it really clear that um, they're behind the team this year. And if the drought's broken, they'll be happier than anyone because the phone calls will finally stop uh, from journos ringing them and talking about 86. Yeah, that, that's probably something you don't consider really as a fan is how much that they get bugged because of the drought itself. We always hear as fans about the modern team, but the, the yeah. guys from 86, their legacy is almost a, a burden on their shoulders at times. Yeah, I was a little worried, I must admit, when I first started making calls that they might think, oh, not another bloody 86 chat, but it sort of came through that no one's really actually done that year, and that's why they were happy to talk about it. But as I said, they were quick to throw their support behind the current team and, and, and make sure they know that they have their full support and if they ever need their help, they're there for them. And um, obviously there's, uh, we have to have to say, anyone that hasn't watched the documentary yet, they should do so. Go and do it, but, dang it. Yeah, yes. But at the end, Sturlo made that reference to current times and, and the importance of making a new history. Do you think Parramatta's getting closer to creating that new history? Oh, I think they're definitely on the right track. When you think about it, I mean, you guys watched them closer than anyone last year. Uh, they weren't that far away, really. They made it to the semifinals. They had a very much a suspension and injury-disrupted team against South. So they lead 18-8. Uh, they fell away in the second half, obviously. We all know that. But they weren't too far off the pace. I think they've made some astute buys in terms of depth for this season. I thought on reflection, maybe they got a little bit stale towards the latter stages of last season. I thought they could have used a few personnel changes, but perhaps they didn't have the depth. Brad Arthur wasn't confident about bringing new guys in, but with guys like Opacic, Hipgrave, Babali, um, Cartwright, Lusick, 
Uh, I think they've got those players now that if someone's a bit off their game, they can bring those guys in with confidence. And uh, I think, I think you know, you look for all the key positions, and I think they've got very, very talented players in those spots. So I don't see why they can't go another step further than last year. So to to commit that to a sort of number, given that the season kicks off this week and we're playing prime time on Friday, can you give us a tip mm. on where you think the Eels will finish in the regulation season for the minor premiership, and then perhaps something beyond that? the postseason? Oh, you know, whenever anyone asks me this question, I always say first. So I'm not going to uh, that, that's where, that's where I, That's where I've got us for the, the TCT tips as well, and I think I'm the only mainline commentator that says. I, yeah, but I also had Parramatta first back in the, the bleak days yep. of 1995. Yep. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, right. I honestly don't see, I don't see why. I mean, Michael Jennings is a, is a loss, obviously, but um, I, I, I think we've got a really good team. I'm excited when I, I saw some headshots pop up online the other day of, the team, I thought, you know what, that's that's a really good team. And they'll be hungry for their exit last year. They know they're under pressure in terms of their finals record. And I just, I don't know, Joey will probably be more hands-on this year, Andrew Johns, given yeah, the, there's like no a, bubble like this bubble, year. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, so he'll be in there a bit more with the halves, because Mitchell Moses, there'll be a spotlight on him, whether he can take that next step against the, the top quality teams. And hopefully, if you have the world's best halfback in your corner, it's going to help. So, no, I'm confident. I'll, yeah, I'll say first. Well, I think anyone that's had a listen to uh, your podcast, The Fend with Gary Jack, would realise the importance of the Eels finishing ahead of the Tigers <laughs> this coming season for the uh, bragging rights and the bit of ribbing that goes on in the pod. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're quite confident, at least, about that. I'm confident we'll finish ahead of the Tigers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> They, they hit for a ninth, uh, <laughs> ninth placing, do you think? Uh, well, they, they did get ninth last year, which I, I think is a positive, but they finished 11th. So whether they're looking to – well, I think ninth will be an improvement for them. <laughs> I don't see – are we talking about the Tigers? I don't see them making the eighth, do you? I, I just nah. – I see them – I see them, yeah, 11th or 12th. I, I was looking at the latter predictions, and I tell you what, the top six, I think, is set in some way because there are six pretty good teams in the NRL between the Storm, Roosters, Raiders – Eels, Penrith, and uh, who am I missing there? I feel like I've slipped over someone. There's you say the Rabbitohs? The Rabbitohs, the Rabbitohs, that's the other one. Rabbitohs, yeah, of course. And then sort of is, you know, and there's always a little bit of liquidity and and sort of uh, change to the top eight, but those six teams really stand out. And the last two spots, you sort of look at like, you know, the Titans, um, and then it's, I don't know, it's just a, a big void. And even then, it's kind of hard to see the Tigers rising above that that sort of uh, yeah. spot, it's hard. I'm curious as to the Storm without Cameron Smith. He's obviously been there since 2003, just how they're going to go. I've always suspected Craig Bellamy will be the biggest loss for yeah. the Storm. That's, not, that's taking and nothing away at all from Smith. I, it would have turned out to I've but. seen enough people write the Storm off as this is going to be the yeah. year that they slide. And what I've done for my state, like my state of mind is it's better to be pleasantly surprised that they end up having a terrible season than, you know, be exasperated yeah. they didn't. So I'm just going to tip, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tip them to be up at the top end of the ladder until they aren't, and that way I'm, it's yeah, good policy. <laughs> I feel like it's better. Good policy. <laughs> and we're going to have the Broncos first. I'm a bit nervous about this one. I just think uh, the Kevy Walters, new era, uh, at home at Suncorp. Um, and we, we only just scrambled over at Canterbury last year when we were in top favourites in round one, so... I'm a little nervous, even though they got the spoon last year. Yeah, they they got plenty to play for. Like you said, new coach at home, um, you know, guys back from injury as well. Um, I do feel like, uh, you know, we we mentioned this on our podcast a fair bit, but, you know, and it's a classic sports saying that styles make fights. 
And I do feel that Parramatta tend to match up pretty well with the Broncos. So I am tipping us to get the job done, but I can see them coming out red hot. Yeah, they've become our whipping boys, haven't they, in recent years? So no doubt the Broncos will be looking to turn that around. Um, yeah, I don't care how we get there as long as we get there and get yeah, the two points. That, and, that's and, it. At <laughs> the end of the year, it doesn't make a difference how you get the two points this early in the exactly. season. But just well, well let's hang on. Let's let's narrow narrow you down, Adam, to a, uh, a points margin for this first round. I'm going to go Eels. I think it's going to be tighter. I'm going to go Eels by four. No, I can, oh, I can I, see it playing out that way, honestly. It, you know, the sort of the rust and, and whatnot you're trying yeah. to check off in round one. And like we said before, the Broncos got plenty to play for, even if they struggled in 2020. Yeah, I, yeah I'm... Every, yeah. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to go for a, a tight one there as well, because I think, as Adam said, the first round last year, we, it was a very tight affair against the Bulldogs. And I think that first game away against the Broncos, they've got a bit to prove in this first match. It's probably the one time of the year where you don't want to face this Broncos team first round at at uh, Suncorp. So I'll go one I'll go in that one to six margin. Too easy. All right, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Uh thanks for coming on the tip sheet and, and letting us sort of um you know ramble on to you for twenty plus minutes. Yeah. Um but uh I've noticed you've managed to grab hold of a, a pretty handy um, handle on Twitter at Adam Hawes. So it's, you know, no numbers or underscores <laughs> there. So well well done on that, mate. And uh, Sixties like already uh, mentioned the Fend. Um, and if you want to catch Eels 86, just punch that into Google and you'll catch it on YouTube, nrl.com and parareels.com.au. Um, any, anything else people should be following you at, mate? No, just that this is the year of the Eel. I think that's what we've got to, uh, we've got to stick by that and get behind the boys and, um, get this uh, elusive next premiership, which, you know, I'm confident we can do. But thanks very much for having me on and and all the, the lovely words about the, the podcast and the, the doco. I've really appreciated it. Uh, our pleasure, mate. Absolutely, mate. You um, keep well and we'll see if we can touch base with you later on in the season. Not a problem. Thanks, guys. It was a massive weekend in the junior 60s. All three grades got up with some absolutely mammoth wins in the context of their seasons. Um, so as always, it's fantastic to have Joey Grimer on hand to give us the inside word from all things Parramatta Junior. And uh, based off last week, we queued up a little bit of music for Joey, who gave us a, a little bit of insight into what gets him going and what he wants is his uh, sort of call sign. <laughs> Joey, good to have you, mate. Wow, how can I beat that? It's great to be back, and wow, I've got some inspiration out of that song. Thanks for putting that on. Um, now, if, if there were people here who saw the visuals of Joey rocking just on grooving out. When, uh, when the choir boys were playing then, you know just how pumped he was? <laughs> or they might call security because they reckon I might have had a few beers walking out of the club. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joey, let's get into it, mate, because you are a busy man. Uh, the weekend saw free grades, free grades, sorry, winning last Saturday, all at the same venue after that little reschedule that you told us about. Um, that must have been pretty satisfying. It was great uh, on a number of fronts. Um, at the expense of the uh, female program, we moved their home game to Camden to keep it consistent so we have all three grades at the one uh, venue, which was a disadvantage for Ryan, his staff and the team, but they copped it on the chin. 
and um, went over there and, and got ultimately our first win, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit later. Um, but it, w- we haven't had that success since our last trial against Penrith, where we um, won all three grades. So it's been five or six weeks, and it's something that um, all the teams have been working hard for, in particular, you know, the players. Um, so it was pleasing. Um, we didn't get out of that unscathed. Unfortunately, we, we got a few injuries uh, with our SG Ball squad. But in saying that, um, yeah, it, it's, it's fantastic. The, the smile on the face, the, the energy, the ambience was, was great to see. So just on that Tasha Gale victory, they were down by 14 points at one stage in the second half. Can you talk us through that comeback? It was a little bit of deja vu where it was a tight contest there. There was a lot of errors made by Parramatta, not getting to their kick. There were a lot of errors made by the Bulldogs. Um, we were going back and forth uh, about 15, 20 minutes into the first half. The Bulldogs made an interchange and brought this really powerful young lady who scored their first two tries and probably let the wind out of our sails and we lost a little bit of confidence and momentum and maybe the girls were thinking, wow, it's just another day in the office. Um, halftime came and Ryan challenged them for their enthusiasm, in particular their captain sitter. Mm. And um, they came out the second half and competed uh, 15 out of 17 or completed 15 out of 17. Hell of an effort. Yeah, yeah. in the second half. And um, Sitter scored three tries and carried the ball just a, a little bit over 250 metres. And 107 of those were post-contact metres. So whatever he said at half time obviously worked. Um, but really, really happy to the point where some of the girls were emotional after the game. Yeah, big uh, breakthrough win. It's huge for them. Absolutely. And given that, you know, they're working so hard and probably let themselves down uh, in some opportunities, this time the shoe was on the other foot. They come out in the second half and completed, got to their kicks and just gassed the Bulldogs and we were able to come over the top of them and um, um, turn that deficit down into a six-point six win. Now those, those metres, that's astronomical metres in any level of football. It's, uh, it's, it's unheard of uh, at the junior level, um, 60s, mainly because when you see it at the NRL level, there's an extra, or they play for 80 minutes. The ladies play for 70 minutes. So there's 10 minutes of less opportunist time yeah. to gather those metres. So that just gives you a snapshot of what Sitter, in conjunction with the team, with their completion rates, and how they were able to come over the top of the Bulldogs. And uh, she was phenomenal. Phenomenal. The team are, are sort of back-to-back on the road with triple headers, aren't they? Because they're heading to Canberra this week, Queen Bien. Um, so keeping with the Tash Gal team, can they make it two wins in a shot, mate? Yeah, certainly. Um, Canberra are one point uh, in front of where we are on the ladder. So there's certainly um, uh, every chance that we can make it too. And that's what we're hoping for. That's what we're talking about. That's what the the Ryan Walker and the coaching staff are talking about. Um, We're going down to Canberra and we're really going to set up the the, the back end of our uh, our season to make the finals. Try and raise some hell. Yes, absolutely. Now, just on to the boys. The Mats are sitting in fourth place. They've recorded... 
three wins and a bye since that first round loss. Is it fair to say that they're hitting some consistent form now? Yeah, consistent form, and they're, we spoke about it last week, 60s, their spine maturing, particularly their kicking game and just their level of calmness, not trying to score. And I guess that's a little bit to do with the extra age group from a 16-year-old who, wouldn't, who would have played Harold Matthews last year to a 17-year-old playing Harold Matthews. That 12 months is a huge difference in the mindset and the maturity of players. Um, but history, or the last uh, four weeks, would suggest that we're doing everything being asked of, uh, with the players, that is, and because they're winning and doing their own job and they're completing, getting to their kick, um, that becomes consistent. You consistently win as you consistently lose. I think it's more of a maturity um, for that team um, with their... You know, acquisition of being consistent in the last four weeks. Now, the uh, the West Magpies didn't let them have that victory easily on the weekend in the Harold Matthews. Can you talk us through how that played out in that 22-14 to 14, uh, triumph? Wests are better than where they're situated, both in the SG Ball and the Harold Matthews. Um, both the games could have went either way uh, at just after half-time. Um, Wests have got a sound side with three or four amazingly talented players. Uh, I know uh, two or three of those guys were from that Bulldog side that they had last year that I don't know why they went back to the the western suburbs from the Bulldogs, but um, certainly um, they've added a lot of uh, punch and a lot of um, finesse to that side. Um, So they're they're a side that's going to... do some damage in the last couple of games. And I, I wouldn't like to play Wests in the last two rounds if I had to, you know, get into the finals, which I don't know if you or your listeners know that the final system has changed. Yep. It's not top eight, it's top six. Yeah, we've, we've made that adjustment to our forecast. And now that means that we've got two teams in the actual... If the season would end today now, both Mats and Ball would qualify. Correct. Yeah, so speaking of the ball... Um, they've also gone without a loss since round one, although it's a little bit different to the Mats because there was a draw in there against the Steelers. Um, but uh, they're facing the form team of the comp this week, which is no mean task, uh, or no easy feat, rather. Um, what do they need to do to defeat the ladder-leading Raiders? I think a number of things. One, they need to get their uh, ruck defence, their middle third defence, tight, solid, to win that battle. Um, that would prevent the halfback of their side, who... Is probably the form half of the competition, um, the ascendancy that he's been getting in the last couple of weeks. Now, uh, the Canberra Raiders won um, fifty to thirty-eight, I think it was last year, last week. So the, the you know the defence wasn't a huge aspect no. of that game, but um, um, the half jumped on the back of anything that was remotely uh, moderate or quick play of the ball. So that's one area that Craig has been working with his staff. Uh, I witnessed it last night at training. And the second thing, and it's, it's, you know, it's pretty generic when I talk about it, is just completing your sets and getting to your kick. Uh, the fundamental error is not it's dropping the ball in the... Not making an error in the play. It's true from the under-sixes to state of origin, right? Yeah, and <laughs> I think that's the difference between the SG Ball and the Harold Matthews Cup at the moment. Yeah. The level of detail that the Harold Matthews Cup are playing with. 
um, opposed to the lack of detail. And uh, we spoke about it last week. It's not through lack of determination no. or it's a concentration thing and it's an overzealousness. In the yeah, end. being guilty of trying exactly, too hard to make too hard. Exactly. Now, just on to a bit of a, a coaching question now, Joey. Um, last week, 5'8 Josh Chappell was a late withdrawal from the SG ball team. And you covered that by bringing in Francis Tuatino at centre and shifting the informed centre, Jabriel Kalashi, to 5'8". So when you're making those sort of changes, what considerations have to be taken into account when you are looking at shifting an informed player from his position into a different position? The player that would normally move or the, the decision of, of make those changes, what would... What would distract the team less? What move would you possibly make um, to ensure that the lack of continuity or the understanding of the game would be at least least affected? And with Jabril going from the centres, although he's been fantastic in the centres, his whole career he's played at 5'8". So it, it made sense to put him into that transition because he understands the shapes that... That squad is running. He understands the objectives of what the coach wants and he understands how to get players around the park because he's so used to that. Bringing Francis in, Francis um, played centre in round one against Manly and he's been on the bench. So his career is also been centre, but he, we're trying to transition him into a back row slash middle. Um, so those two guys will not disrupt the preparation or the execution, as it were, offensively and defensively. So I guess that's what we're looking at. Um, what's going to affect the team at the, the least um, in getting ready for the game? Craig had a couple of other options. Um, one of them was to start, bring someone that hasn't played a game and put him into the 5-8th role. He, he's a utility role. Um, but we didn't know, or he didn't know, if he could um, um, understand and do the job the way that he needed to do the job. So that, that's that's the main gist about uh, making changes um, to anyone that's you know uh, late withdrawal. And I believe um, uh, Jabriel's uh, responded fairly positively in that game. I know he scored a slashing try in there. You're happy with his form then at, uh, when he filled in at five eight? Yeah, certainly. And. It's also good for uh, Keelan Bray not to have Josh Chappell. Josh Chappell was the dominant half. So it's a little bit of um, personal development for Keelan to take over and that ownership and the kicking game. And so, he responded, didn't he? And he responded. He didn't hit every kick 10 out of 10, but he got the team around. And, you know, now he knows the pressures that he mm. needs to... to uh, uh, or the pressures is going to be upon him if he wants to go to that next level in his rugby league career. Finally, Joey, it's uh, kickoff for the NRL today when we're recording on this Thursday, the 11th of March, but the Parramatta Eels play tomorrow, and we couldn't let you get away without asking you, uh, you know, how are we going to beat the Broncos, mate? I think we're going to beat the Broncos through consistency and um, some clarity. They've made some changes. They've changed their ethos. They're talking about, um, you know, what... They're missing. Um, they got Walters in now, so I think they're going to take a little bit of time to get that right. Um, so for me, Parramatta, um, I've seen them train this week. 
I've seen that thing that they've got in their eyes. I, I've seen the fun they had at their captain's run today, but I really feel the, the thing that's going to get them over the line is the consistency, consistency and the continuity. We don't have too many changes from last year. So Just one in the starting 13. Yeah, one in the starting 13. And uh, the, the smiling assassin coming off the bench, the, he's the best smiler that Papalini is... Always smiling around the place. He's just such a good fella to have. And, um, I think that's where we're going to get him. Um, they've got some changes in their side, some key changes from last year. They couldn't settle on a side. Their trial form has been a little bit misleading. So for the first game against the Broncos, I think um, uh, we're going to get them on, on our consistency and, and knowing each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses and playing together. Well, mate... As always, we're that little bit smarter after having <laughs> spent a bit of time with you on the tip sheet. So thank you again, and uh, we'll see you next week for a very special presentation of the tip sheet live at Parramatta Leagues Club before the big game at home at Bankwest Stadium. Thanks very much for having me, and I can't wait because I, I think I know who your special guest may be. Oh, he's, he's, uh, he's, te- he's teasing everyone listening, but thank you, Joe. You are a legend, mate, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys. Cheers, mate. All right, mate. So let's just run through the action from the juniors on the weekend. Joey's already given us that insider's insight, which is always appreciated. But as for the results themselves, uh, we'll start with the Tasha Gale. Um, Sixties mentioned that big comeback from behind victory. They ended up running out 26 to 20 victors over the Canterbury Bulldogs. Try scorers for the Eels was Osalio Cita-Payne with that hat-trick, alongside Lucy Whitehead and Talisha Pugh. Um, uh, Summer Tarare um, was three off five from the kicking tee. And uh, for the Dogs, they also had a hat-trick scorer in Indy Brown, with Patessa Leo also scoring, and Addison Winterstein was two from four from the boot. So good to see the girls get up on the, uh, on the winner's column there and kickstart their season, mate. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's got to be a, a real boon for their confidence going forward. So let's see if they can carry that into uh, a victory against the Raiders this week. Yeah, obviously we talked about that with Joey, but another massive away triple header. But um, that takes us into the Harold Matthews, who also got a, a victory 22-14 to 14 in their case, so by eight points over the Western Suburbs Magpies. For the Eels in the under-17s, Yaya Ayachi started the scoring and he was followed by Ethan Sanders, Declan Murray and Patrick Spence. Sanders also contributed with the boot, three from four off the kicking tee. Uh, for the Magpies, they had uh, Valentino uh, Tavana score a double and Solomone uh, Sukuru scoring in the 55th minute and they had one conversion uh, to those three tries. So a tough win for the Eels and Joey outlined why it was a tough win because the Magpies are playing a lot better than their, their position on the ladder might uh, suggest. And, you know, they're the ones that you don't want to let slip, mate, because they can't, they prove cost to those sort of uh, games at the back end of the season. Well, look, just like the NRL, in any game of football, if you take your opposition for granted, if you don't give them the respect they deserve, that's a recipe for disaster. That's it. And the final game on Saturday uh, was the SG Ball running out 32-18 to 18 victors over the Western Suburbs Magpies. Tyron Sal got an early double, followed by Larry Moagutatia, Caleb Coroneus, Jabril Kalachi and Sione Tapawosi. Uh, Ham was on the other podcast of me, the Para podcast, and there was a little bit of debate over uh, Sione's last name, so excuse me, mate, if I got that one wrong, because it's been spelt differently, I think, in a couple of different places. Uh, from the kicking tee, Keelan Bray took over from the absent Josh Chapel, and he was four from six, so a pretty good day out at the office for him. And yeah, this was, a, I, I think, like a get-right game for the ball after squandering a, a big game against the Steelers the week before and ending up in a draw. Yeah, and when you start to talk about 
gathering momentum and making sure you're in a position to get into the top six. And Joey did explain that it was a top six this year for the juniors. You can't afford to make any mistakes. You can't afford to drop games that you should be picking up on. And the SG ball's really in need of some momentum. And now having two wins and a draw, as well as the bye from their last four games, they've got the chance to launch from a platform that has them currently in that top six and um, very big game for them coming up this week. And, and the thing is, as much as we've sport, sort of spoken on the podcast about them squandering opportunities, I think they're only three points behind the Canberra Raiders. Who, the Canberra Raiders are, are five from five. The ball have had one loss and one draw. So that's three points. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yes. so their, their future is very much in their own control here and, and a really strong showing against the Canberra Raiders puts them in the box seat to push for uh, a top four spot. Or a top, two, a top two spot, which is the important one, because the, the top two teams get a bye straight into the qualifying final or preliminary final in the new system. All right. Yeah. Sorry, you were going to say Yeah, that? no, no, I was just going to say it is an interesting way they've got the finals arranged where the top two teams have that bye going into and they go straight to the qualifying final. Yes. The, the grand final qualifier. So um, an abbreviated final series of three weeks for the junior reps. Yes, sir. And I think that'll do us for the reviews from the round five action for the Parramatta Eels, which then takes us quickly into the previews. And it's uh, there could have been so much footy this week, mate, but with buys in the jersey flag in the... It's back to the New South Wales Cup, the, uh, the knock-on effect New South Wales Cup. I was about to say Canterbury Cup. We've had about four different names in five years for reserve grade. But yeah, back to the New South Wales Cup. But the Eels have buys in both rounds. So there could have been a lot of football this weekend. Instead, there's a, an away triple header at Canberra and just the, the NRL on on Friday night, which is a bit unfortunate. But let's talk about that away triple header out at Queanbeyan, um, starting with Natasha Gale. Just a couple of changes for the girls this week. Uh, Danielle Keller and Lucy Whitehead are out. And Chelsea Austin and Lorene... They, they're saying Lorene uh, Lulmanuve is back in, but uh, she's been in and out of the teams, and I'm not sure if that's a... Uh, a rostering error or whatnot from New South Wales Rugby League, but they've got her back in. So the team quickly reads out with Amina Kanj at fullback, Tamira Liardi and uh, Chelsea Austin on the flanks. At centre, you have Talisha Pugh and Lorene Lund... I'm sorry, Lorene, but Lorene Lua Manuve. Just had my tongue trip over itself repeatedly there. In the halves, you've got Catalina Vave and Demia Pritchard. So a couple of NRL surnames right there, 60s. Yeah, yes. It's, uh, it's always good when you uh, people who aren't as familiar with the teams get those familiar names. Yeah, and you've got a couple of outstanding bookends in the front row, Ruby John Kennard and their captain, Lasalio Cedar Payne, who has been outstanding. We heard those uh, almost uh, impossible numbers that she pumped out on the weekend. So 107 post-contact metres, outstanding. And well over 200 metres in general, and alongside a hat-trick. You know, it does not get any, I was going to say, it doesn't get much better. It does not get any better than that. So full credit to, to Cedar Payne there. Um, in between them will be uh, Jada Tovai. In the back row, you've got, uh, uh, sorry, Lorija uh, Kacha Masame, Sama Tarare, and at lock, Taimani Kolomaka. Um, on the interchange bench, Jacinta Tui, Lelani Tua, Kristen Corfawn and Summer Brown, and Eloisa Seve is 18th lady. So that'll um, be up against the Canberra Raiders, and I believe they are kicking off the action on the weekend at 12pm. Uh, following them up now is the Harold Matthews. Um, a few changes there for the boys with uh, Cooper Sinclair, big Cooper Sinclair, that flanker, or winger rather, I'm talking, mixing up my rugby union and league terms as I am want to do. Um, he's out alongside Genesis Talangi Suwala and uh, Lachlan Galvin. Coming in their place is Muhammad Alamadine, Suliasu Aho, and Tyresi Lakeni. Um, so that means a couple of changes in the back line at the very least. 
Uh, Patrick Spence will be the custodian in the number one. On the flanks, you'll see Siliasi Ahu come into the team and he'll be on the right with Josh Liela Alotto on the left. Charlie Geimer and Declan Murray take their traditional places, places in the centres. Uh, in the halves is Terence Lafay and Ethan Sanders as usual. Front row reads from left to right. Sam Tuovati, Yaya Ayachi at hooker and Olfag Mino on the right. Or on the right is a loose way of putting it when you're in the middle. Um, back row is Rafael Destratus there for a second week as his, um, his twin brother Dom sits out via injury or suspension. I'm not sure what exactly is happening there. And um, he'll be in the back row alongside Saxon Pryke and big Miles Martin. Uh, bench reads is Blaise Talangi, Joshua Alzahim, Mavetti Otauta and Teresa Lakeni. And Muhammad Alamadine comes in as 18th man. Another big game, obviously, for the boys. They're looking to push for top four and top two honours this week. And hopefully they can get the chockies with kickoff at 1.30pm at Queanbeyan. Uh, the final action out at Canberra on the weekend will be the SG ball naturally. And they've got a few changes this week with Brock Parker, Daniel Reardon and Tyrone Sow out. So you've got a couple of starters in Parker and Sow out there. Coming in for their places will be Freeman Forsyth, Josh Chappell, Kylan Mafoa and Taylor Mawala. Uh, Freeman Forsyth will replace Tyrone Sow in the number one. On the wings, you'll have Caleb Coroneos and Sione Tapawasi. Uh, in the centres, it's Kamoi Fekatoa and Jabril Kalachi, who defaults back to his uh, centre position with Josh Chappell coming back at 5.8. Speaking of Chappell, he'll be partnered by Keelan Bray. Front row is the big hyphen, Jonte Jr. Befin Misa and Larry Mwaga Tatia. Um, they'll be bookending Vlado Jankovic, who's been outstanding for the last couple of weeks as he comes into his own. Uh, back row is Jock Brazel and Max Tupo or Maximus Tupo out in the flanks with Peter Tatio, the captain, and Locke. Uh, bench is Drew Lloyd, Taylor Mawala, Francis Fayafa Tuatino, and Kuevi Lemesu with Kylan Mafoa, 18th man. Whew. And as, as we've mentioned, mate, this is a massive game up against table-topping Raiders who are yet to suffer defeat. So uh, uh, this is a, a statement game or prospectively a statement game. And good to see Taylor Mawala back in yeah. the team uh, on the bench but he's uh, quite an experienced player within the Eels' uh, pathway system, so I'm sure he's going to add quite a lot of punch into uh, the bench there. Yeah, well, uh, TCT's resident uh, associate, Ham Ham Sandwich, is a, a big Taylor Mawala rep, isn't he? And it's good to have a, a lot of punch off the bench now. It'll help the front row or the, the middles uh, tremendously having a guy like Taylor injected into the game when the, uh, the, you know, the ruck starts to fatigue a bit. Yeah, so just looking across the, the grades, it's uh, interesting matchups because you've got the Raiders sitting either at the bottom of the table or um, just line, above, yeah. just above it in the uh, the Mats and the Tasha Gale, whereas the SG Ball are playing the table topping Raiders. So it'll be um, probably just as important for every one of them because, as we said before, you don't want to drop games that no. you're expected to win and likewise if you're in the position the SG ball team is in where you are sitting just behind the Raiders who are top of the table this gives them the opportunity to put themselves just one point behind the Raiders after round six in a nine round junior reps competition. Yeah, and unfortunately given the nature of the game's been out at Queenby and there won't be any live coverage from TCT but as you know, we do have Joe Grimer on deck every week, giving us that insider tip from uh, you know the Parramatta uh, coaching staff. So look forward to that and Joey's rundown of all the action from those three games. All right, mate, let's move on to bigger things. Not necessarily better because we do love our juniors at TCT. Um, it's easy easy to forget given that we're six weeks into the juniors, but it is week one of the NRL, mate. It is go time. Mate, 
Is there a better time of the well? Oh, yes, grand final <laughs> week. If, if Parramatta's in the grand final, but, is obviously going to be a better week. Um, but once we're there at the start of the year, mate, the the, the blood's pumping. Everyone's everyone's on the same number of points, and you just don't know what lies ahead at this point in time. It's uh, I, I've put in my punting tips for goals preview, and anyone that hasn't read. Goals, Parramatta Reels previews. Do yourself a favour. Best preview. Read it. It is the best preview bar none out there. And I'd say for any match, not not just Parramatta Eels matches, but you are not going to read a better preview anywhere. This isn't even tooting the TCT horn here. If if Goal was posting these on Facebook or his own blog, you know, they're they're absolute hundred percent quality. So well done to the man for that. And we appreciate um, you know what he can do for TST in that regard. So I bring down the standard of his <laughs> of his preview when I put in my punting tips. And as I said this week, I think uh, last year last year when the Eels were going at a seventy five percent win record, I reckon the success uh, well the failure rate of my tips was about seventy five percent. So I was running on a par, but not in the right way. So um, one of the things that I mentioned this week is that when you're looking at round one. Man, it, it, it can actually be a time when you can jag some superb odds on uh, trying to tip the winners in some of these games because there is no real exposed form to go on. You are going to get some upsets. And probably if there's a round where I don't want to play the Broncos, it's round one up at Suncorp Stadium because they're on the same number of points as everyone else. They've got a new coach. They're trying to really sell it to the fans that they've got more to offer this year. They're going to come out pumped. So if there's a if there's a round, as I said, where I don't want to play them, it is this round. Yeah, fortunately we sort of got a simulation of that last year when we restarted the season, the COVID-impacted season, in round three with the Parramatta Eels going up to Brisbane and playing in an empty stadium and managing to get a comprehensive win. But yeah, like, like we've said, it's got the makings of a trap game in some regards, so the Eels need to be you know all hands on deck here. And let's, speaking of all hands on deck, mate, let's go through the team list quickly. Um, for the Brisbane Broncos, they've got a couple of surprises. At least I feel like they've got a couple of surprises. Uh, Jermaine Asako has won out the race for the fullback jersey over Tessie New, um, and he will be uh, featuring the team in the back line otherwise. But with Asako in the number one, he'll be playing in the back alongside Xavier Coates and David Mead, who has returned to the NRL. Um, in the centres, you've got Herbie Farmworth and Tessie New. The halves reads as Anthony Milford, and Brody Croft won out over Tom Dearden, so... We'll see uh, Brody once more. Front row uh, with no pain Haas due to a... Was it in, also was it an internal suspension or an internal suspension for pain? Naughty boy suspension. Right, well, naughty boy suspension one way or the other. So in his place, you'll have Tavita Pango Jr. and Matthew Lodge as the starting props. And they'll be alongside Jake Turpin at hooker. Um, captain the team in the back row was Alex Glenn. And they've got a new face in Jordan Ricking on the other edge. And uh, I don't mind this kid. Patrick Harrigan's a pretty good player and he'll be their lock forward. On the bench, they've got the uh, former Cowboy John Asiata alongside Thomas Flegler, Ethan Bullimore and Ben Teo. And their extended bench reads as Tom Dearden, Reese Kennedy, Richard Kennar and Corey Pakes. For the Eels, I mean, we talked about it with Joey before, but it's a, a pretty consistent team from last year. Very few changes, only one in the starting 13 and then some on the bench given the, the injuries and suspensions that are impacting the Eels in round one. But at the back and captaining the team is King Guffo, Quinton Gufferson. On the flanks, you've got Mike Sivo and Blake Ferguson. Tom Opacic is the sole newcomer to the starting 13 and he'll take his place at left centre. And in the other centre position, we've got Wanga Blake. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses have swapped sides, but they're in the same jerseys as usual. And then in front row, you've got Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Paulo with Reed Marnie at hooker. 
Sean Lane, Ryan Madison and Nathan Brown round out an unchanged starting pack from 2020. On the bench, Oregon Kafusi has been rewarded with a really strong preseason for with a spot in that uh, bench, sorry. And he'll be joined by Zaya Papali'i, who was another outstanding preseason trainer. Kicking Hipgrave and Will Smith will round out our interchange four, with the shadow bench reading as Hayes Dunster, Joey Lussick, Jordan Rankin, and young Dave Hollis. Coach is Brad Arthur, and that's not a surprise to anyone. Sixties, what do we make about those two teams, mate? Okay, well... Look, there are a number of talking points. And just before we get to some of the talking points, first of all, a shout-out to the Eels' uh, debut players. So we've got uh, Tom Oppachik, Para Papa, and <laughs> Keegan Hipgrave. And uh, we can't forget that this is Junior Paulo's 100th first-grade game for the Parramatta Eels. We're huge junior fans on the Cumberland throw. He is... An absolute wizard out there on the field with his ball skills, with the kicking. He's just, he is an X factor for the Eels, and we're happy to have him in the blue and gold and happy that he's now racked up 100 first grade games in the blue and gold. And of course, a shout out to Big Dave Hollis, who for the first time has had his name included in the Eels 21. So he's getting closer to an NRL debut. We're thinking that might come at some stage later in the season. But congratulations to David in being listed in the NRL 21 for this week. Yeah, exciting times, mate. So uh, let's go to the uh, talking points. Um, The Eels have won eight of 19 games against the Broncos up at Suncorp Stadium. That's, That's a fairly good record. Is it... Is history, does history have anything to do with a team's success at a ground, do you think, Forty? It, it's so hard to say because we know that home field advantage is a legitimate thing, um, whether it's just the crowd pumping up players or managing to have some sort of influence on officials when it comes to uh, making crucial decisions. It, it sort of just plays a factor, and it's really hard to quantify that. But I've always felt that the Eels played really good football up at Suncorp. Yeah, if there's, a, if there's one ground that I think... They haven't really had any fears, and and I think it's actually been since since the time the Broncos have been in the in the Premiership. Even though the Broncos have been such a strong team, it hasn't been out of the question for the Eels to get over them up in up in Brisbane. And uh, even the the most recent record, no matter what ground it's played at, the Eels have won six of their last eight against the Broncos. And- one of those losses was that controversial golden point loss against That's correct. The, the Broncos up at Suncorp. That's correct. Yeah. So, so you'd have to say that if if we're talking recent history and if we're talking at overall history, the, the Eels have probably got one of the better records against the Broncos up in Brisbane and uh, one of the best recent records against the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, just on the, on the Broncos team, how big are those outs? No Stags, no Fafita. And uh, this year, and of course, uh, no pain Haas. Yeah, well, obviously with Fafita uh, jumping um, down the, um, I say they're equivalent of the M4. Uh, I don't know what it is up in the, <laughs> on the Brisbane, the Gold Coast connection, but getting on the bus down to the Gold Coast, that is a massive loss. Um, one of the most explosive attacking forwards in the competition, and he's done plenty of damage in the games against Parramatta. So I certainly don't discount the loss of uh, David Fafita. And... I was just going to say, I think Tony Staggs is in the same mould. I think Parramatta's done a pretty good job on him um, in the times we've accounted him, relatively speaking. Like, he still had his, you know, had his meal and, and, and whatnot and gotten his. But relatively speaking, they've put the, the damper on him the same way we sort of have done with Payne Haas in the past. And obviously, Payne's not a factor of this game. 
Yeah, so that's this is where I was leading with this question because when we were speaking with Joey before and he highlighted the the fact that we've got that continuity of players in the Eels team from last year where we've got, of the starting 13, we've got 12 of that starting 13, whereas the Broncos are down some key players compared to last year. And as you pointed out, that when we played them, when they were included in the team, that we seemed to handle them fairly well. So if you try to draw that as a form line, you'd have to say that the Eels are in a very good position for this round one encounter. Uh, But again, I say it's round one and you've got different motivations and um, which leads me to the next point. Uh, Kevy Walters as the Broncos coach. So a question for you, Forty. Anthony Seabold was obviously held to account for the Brisbane Broncos last couple of seasons and, and people have said that his coaching record was not really up to it and in, and in fact that he was a relatively inexperienced coach to be coming in at the Broncos having had the one season as an NRL coach with the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So I put it to you this way, what's the pedigree of Kevy Walters as an NRL coach? Yeah, that's a good question because Kevy comes in as a representative coach that inherited one of the, you know, the, the sort of the declining great rosters, right? Post Mal Meninga, you know, Kevy had success in the State of Origin arena and that is, uh, you know, to his credit. But the, and this is something I think we've spoken about in the past, the, the week-to-week grind of the NRL, uh, whether it's a player or a coach, it is, it is so demanding. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kevy's able to get the, the Broncos up for this game because it's got that origin sort of build-up. You know, first game of the season, home opener, got so much to play for, bouncing back from, you know, the first wooden spoon season for the Broncos. Got guys that have returned from injury as well as guys that are out. So you're trying to pump up the guys that are replacing Payne Haas, that are replacing David Fafita and uh, 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 Tony Stagg. Sorry, gosh, I just had a brain fart there. So you're looking to get those guys up. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Broncos come into this game fired up because of that, because he's got the, uh, Kevy's got the chops for that sort of, atmosphere for that occasion um, but the long term though I'm, I'm really not sure what to make of Walters it's a, it's a very big challenge because the Broncos as a club have a lot of pride and that was trampled on in 2020 I think for them it's going to come down to getting off to a decent start in the season if they get to halfway through the season and they're languishing down towards the bottom of the table that's where you'll see how tough the gig is for Kevy and about what sort of coaching chops that he does have in that regard. That's fair. So, um, and the thing is, I only, I only need to look back to when the Eels brought in Ricky Stewart as the uh, recent New South Wales origin coach. And, okay, he, he, he may not have had the cattle at the Eels, and that was certainly the take that Ricky Stewart had at the time, but it didn't work having someone who was coming in uh, from an origin level as the, uh, as the Eels coach. And, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how the season pans out with the Broncos as the Wooden Spoon team bringing in the Queensland origin coach, just as it was with the Eels as the Wooden Spoon team bringing in um, Ricky Stewart That's actually a really the, funny parallel the coach. I hadn't considered. Yeah. So the next, the next talking point just to get on to is um, the Eels. With the, um, the roster that, we've, uh, that we're putting up at the moment, 
28 players named for the Eels, but of course the, that 28 players includes the unavailable Michael Jennings. So we've also got a number of injuries yes, coming right. into this first round. Is it... Uh, how soon do you think we need to look at adding to the roster? And I know this is getting a little bit away from this first game, but I think what it comes down to is that when we've named that 21, we're possibly naming every fit player well, the that Eels, is available. Well, the Eels had four players listed on the official injury list, didn't they? Yes, that's right. So they were talking Ray Stone. Murata Niakori was on the injury list, but he's suspended. Um, you've got uh, Ray Stone had a knee injury, if I recall correctly. Uh, obviously, Bryce Cartwright has a broken jaw, and he's scheduled for rounds four to six as a sort of nebulous return date. And um, that same uh, uh, diagnosis or prognosis sort of timeline return was given to, uh, uh, gosh, the our, our back. Now I'm having a, a brain fade. Michael Oldfield? Michael Oldfield, there you go. Full of brain fades today, old 40. Uh, so, yeah, you've got three players injured and a, a suspension right there. So, obviously, Murata's available next week, which is fantastic because he's one of the best bench forwards in the competition. But yeah, you've got, you got four players you, you can't use immediately. You've got another player you can't use because there's an SIA suspension hanging over his head and he's ineligible for selection. You've got a rookie that you just promoted to the top 30 that you're not going to consider for round one selection by any means because as talented as Will Penasini is, you know he's got a bit of work to do and he'd, he'd know that. This isn't a slur on a kid that is supremely talented as a centre. But you know, he's, he's not for round one consideration. I've got six names already that you can't pick. So they are picking their 21 that they can pick. Pretty much. Yeah, and basically another injury to a uh, middle forward and Dave Hollis is making his debut in round one of the 2021 yeah, season. It, it feels like an injury at centre or middle forward right now and maybe edged, but you've got a little bit of options there to play around with um, utility forwards. Um, the Eels are, as good as their team is, they're kind of precariously balanced on the health of a few guys at the moment. Yeah, and... Uh, I believe there are a number of NRL clubs who have asked for dispensation the, the Bulldogs, this first round. The Bulldogs have uh, asked for one-time uh, Wentworthville Magpie or Param- Reserve Paramount or Bradley Dietz to play hooker in the NRL outside the top 30 in round one. Round one. like, yeah. like that, That's how crazy things are at the moment. And I don't know what it is, whether it was the, uh, the, the rep impacted or, sorry, the COVID impacted preseason that saw players in that condensed recovery period. I don't know what it is, but it feels like a lot of teams are already stretching thin. Yeah, I wonder, uh, did we lose players last year? I mean, I'm, I'm talking about across the rugby league community. Have we, have we lost players? Uh, are, are clubs in that wait and see with their rosters now that they're only needing to name 28 players by March 1? There, uh, w- there was an argument I saw, was it on 360 or another talk show? Said the century, <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a little bit of a... Uh, I don't I want to say this as nicely as possible as I can given that we're on location. But it was a little bit of a silly argument saying that some clubs are essentially cheating or playing for an unfair advantage by holding a roster slot or two open heading into that uh, one time June, uh, July 31, uh, sorry, June 30, but now August 1st trade deadline because they're gaming the system by looking to, to get a player late. And I was like, well, th- no, they're not gaming the system. There, there's an opportunity cost involved here where if you're going to hold that roster spot open for half the season, you're missing a, a guy you can pick week in, week out. And if injury, injuries happen or suspension happens or a guy wants out, you know, something happens because there's a lot of things that can happen in a regular league season. You're, that's the opportunity cost. You're, you're going to be shorthanded. So, yeah, it does feel like some teams uh, more than ever are perhaps uh, queuing up for a mid-season transfer or mid-season acquisition. And perhaps that's what's led to a number of teams 
uh, being so short-handed. And while the Eels aren't technically in that capacity at the moment, they're not far off it. And I believe there are a number of um, – because it's a, the first round of the New South Wales Cup this week. Uh, what's its new name? Uh, the Knock-On Effect New South Wales Cup. The Knock-On Effect New South Wales Cup. So we've got the first round. Parramatta have a bye, as we spoke about earlier. But I believe there are a number of teams who've got the old TBA in their team <laughs> there's, listings. There's more than a few have got the yeah, TBA <laughs> to, to be uh, taken to the field on the weekend. So uh, they're going to be drawing deep on on sort of uh, Reggie Park sort of players, I think, or maybe flag guys or whatnot. They're going to be, you know, trying to scramble to fill these um, spots heading into week one. I'm I'm struggling to think of a time in the past where the team lists have come out. And it's full of TBAs. Yeah, you, you get the odd one every now and then because maybe there's a suspension that's being contested or something like that. There's a, a few things at play behind the scenes that we don't aren't privy to as fans, rather. Um, but yeah, this this season feels very weird, and it's hard to put your finger on it. Like you said, where have the players gone, mate? Well, it was said to me today. How would you be if you've been named on the bench for? Uh, one of the New South Wales Cup teams and named ahead of you in <laughs> one of the spots is a TBA. Mate, TBA. You're there. You're there, named on the bench. T- but we got TBA. On the TBA. Run on team. TBA is an all timer that goes back over a century. He's got plenty of reps to his name. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's let's start getting into um, your predictions now for the uh, Eels versus the Broncos. Forty. How do you see it going? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm. I'm guilty of overusing this saying, but it feels so relevant in an Eels-Broncos game. But styles make fights. And we talked about how the Eels tend to travel well to Suncorp. And if they don't always win, they play good football. And I think that's going to be on the cards for us this week on, on Friday evening at 7.30. Well, is it, sorry, is it 7.30 or 7.50? I always get confused with the uh, the Friday night kickoffs now. But after the ads. <laughs> after the ads. After the uh, Broncos and Knights as well, by the way. So uh, Bulldogs and Knights, not Broncos doubling up. So Bulldogs, Knights and the, the leader. Oh. I don't know. Round one, we talked about it before. So much can happen. You know, the Broncos could come out roaring. They're fired up. So much to play for. You know, they're, they're not burdened by any failure of the season itself. So, like you said, that may end up testing Kevy Walters and the team down the track. But right now, the Eels are going to be, you know, up against a team that, while it had a little bit of a dubious trial form, they're going to be ready to, you know, go to battle on Friday. So I'm going to tip a, a relatively close game. I think the Eels will get home. I think I said on, on the other podcast that I'm part of, I think the Parramatta Eels get home 22-12. I'm, I'm still pretty confident in that sort of prediction. Um, you know, the Broncos, you know, could quite possibly breach our line a couple of times. Um, I think we looked pretty good defensively against Penrith, but there was enough to suggest that a player in a, in a moment of brilliance, like what Jerome Lai did with his little left foot step, could, you know, challenge the defensive line. And maybe Anthony Milford can do that. Maybe Tavita Pangai Jr., if he's having an on-game, can do that. You know, big offload or a damaging run. Uh, you know, get get over once or twice. So, yeah, I'll go with 22-12. And I tip the uh, the Eel Centurion to get over first. Uh, big Junior Polo to open the scoring. It's a bold call, mate. It is a bold call, but we do love ourselves some Junior Polo. And I've got to back the big man in a milestone game. <laughs> big man season, mate. That's it. Look, I think that... Um like you, I'm going for a tight game. I'm thinking of a, a six-point margin. I'm not going to not going to tip a score because I feel like it is going to be low scoring. But these games against the Broncos, if the Broncos, their their resilience factor last year was just really really low. It was zero, not yeah. low. And whilst I believe that they're going to come out and make it a really tough encounter, if Something happens that falls the eels way, and the eels get some momentum. 
the Broncos just don't have the runs on the board in any recent season to say that they would fight back mm-hmm. and and would stand up. So look, I think the Eels are going to play it as Rugby League 101, which is win the medal and as the team, as their opposition starts to weaken, then start to get a bit a bit more expansive with the ball. So I don't... I don't think we'll see too many trick shots that are thrown by the Eels. Now, for Eels supporters who are always saying, oh, look, I'm questioning the Eels' attack, I don't know that you're going to get any answers from it's this gonna, game or the first few annoying. rounds. Yeah. I think the Eels will aim to build into the season. They're not going to, I don't think they're going to start throwing too many wild shots um, or, or too much overly expansive play. They'll build into the season. They'll look at winning the winning the games through the middle, and building from there. Um, but as I said, if the uh, if the Broncos start to fall away, well, I suppose that's a recipe for for trying to take advantage of it. But I don't think that's I don't know that that's going to be necessarily part of the game plan. I mean, you sort of led us to a nice place to talk about too, in regards to a lack of flashy offensive play, perhaps. A lot of the media focus into this game has been on Mitchell Moses. I think there was accusations of being a flat-track bully by Laurie Daly and was it Paul Kent maybe, uh, if, I, if I get my media heads right. Um, and I think they'll answer some, in some capacity today in an article with Mitch talking about what he's learned and, and sort of Brad expecting to back him into a, a good start to the season. What are you expecting to see from Mitchell and, and Dylan as well? Their swap sides, you know, they're probably not going to play the flashiest football. Do you think that Moses, in keeping it simple, might look to sort of streamline his game and attack the line with his speed? Well, I think Moses has really been the victim of over-scrutiny of his play. Don't get me wrong, the the halfback is such... It is the critical role within the team and it doesn't matter who's got a C next to their name, the halfback's making an... The plenty, majority of the calls, plenty that, of massive calls to yeah, the, the team. Yeah, yeah, they they are the game manager. So the the question marks has been around: Is Mitch Moses a game manager or is he a ball runner? Now we all know that he's got the ball running skills, but as the halfback, you have to have some game management skills there. So uh, there was a. I think there's been a little bit of unnecessary criticism about about how much that has fallen. Uh, how much his running game has fallen by the wayside when he's trying to be a game manager, but by the same token, I think he's he's got a a halves partner in Dylan Brown, who is not overly experienced in NRL game management, and both of them had time out last season. Dylan Brown had significant time out the season before, so I still say that Mitch Moses is going to have to be more of a game manager. Than Dylan Brown, but what Dylan Brown will bring is a counterpoint in that game management. So there will be games where he will probably step up and do a little bit more than Mitch Moses in a game, depending on how it unfolds. And I think you're also looking at with uh, with Dylan Brown, he naturally straightens the attack up a little bit more. So the attack from his side of the field is going to be a point of difference to what Mitch Moses does. And even though there are the calls out there, and rightly so, for Mitch Moses to straighten the attack up a little bit more, I think there's an advantage in the fact that both sides of the field attack in different ways. Yeah, you, you don't want to be the same sort of one through to 17 because that means that game planning defensively against you is a lot more simple. You know, you just got to take whatever shape you throw at one side, it's going to be the same on the other side. And so having that little bit of difference between 
Mitchell and Dylan absolutely means a lot. Yeah, and I think something that both players bring to the team, and I don't know that they've ever received enough credit for it, but I think they're both pretty good at playing what's in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now we've seen many moments where, and and like Mitch Moses might get a little bit of credit for it, but chip over the top, um, going for the dart on his own, the, the play, simply playing what is what is in front of him is a big part of what a half should be capable of doing. And I, I think they've both got that in their kit bag and I don't think they get enough credit for it. So, um, uh, it, look, it will be interesting. The, anyone who saw the interview that Dylan Brown did with Triple M, you might have been coming into the season going, oh, my God, as he was talking about his brain fades out on the field. But that's just Dill's sense of humour, just down, just, you know, he, it, that self-deprecating sense of humour saying, oh, I'm not much good, I'm always having to be... People have to tell me what to do. Or I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fading out in in my concentration. Blah blah blah. I think that's part of the charm of what makes Dylan Dylan and why he's so popular among the club. Yeah, yeah. If he if he was someone that had genuinely poor issues with that, you can bet he wouldn't be in first grade, no, he and he wouldn't have been playing first grade <laughs> at 18 years of age. No, sir. So uh, just looking ahead, um, we're both going. We're both going for an Eels victory. We're both going for a fairly close margin. And um, the, one, the one thing I wanted to ask you, yep. um, not so much from Parramatta or the Broncos, what are we expecting from the officials? We've got new rules. We've got a new ruck that was uh, sort of officiated very wildly different across the preseason. We saw in our game it was so fast. Uh, the offside mark was vastly reduced because referees couldn't keep up with the speed of the game. Um, we saw in other games it was more what we'd expected from 2020. Um, so we've got those. We've got a two-point field goal. Are we expecting any of this to come into play on Friday? Mate, I'm, this is where I'm like the angry man yelling at the sky. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Old man <laughs> yells at clouds. Yeah. The, you know, stop changing the game for That's it. The game. That is it, 100%. I am sick and tired of change upon change upon change of the game. Don't get me wrong, every so often we come up with a good change, but the we're talking about a, six or seven a season. Yeah, you go back, the 40-20 was an awesome rule change. It allowed for a tactical kicking game to flip the field and you know do some really cool things. And even more recently, some of the stuff to tidy up scrums and whatnot, okay, that's fine. But now it feels like we are making change for sake of change. And the thing you hear all the time is, we've got to get the little guys back into the game. Well, I'll tell you what, the little guys are having heaps of influence on the game. And what about the big guys? Are we trying to run these guys off the field until they get hurt? Like, well, look, we've we've cut back on the interchange, and at the same time, we're now going to keep the ball in play longer via these rules. We're going to reduce any chance of rest time during the natural stoppage. Natural. When I say natural stoppage, I'm talking about stoppage that is part of the game, where tactically a uh, the team's kicker would look for. He knows when his team needs a rest. Kick it in the touch, get a scrum, walk to the scrum, and that was and you a, get a bit of a you that get was a an astute tactical decision. Correct. And not only to make that decision, but to execute it because you know you could kick it out of touch five minutes away if you wanted to, but you'd be losing all that field position. So to be able to identify that your team needed a break or needed to be able to reset defensively and be able to find touch in a tactically advantageous position that that took a lot of skill. And look, I'm I'm sorry, but I I'm when I'm seeing a tap restart for a ball kicked into touch, I'm just seeing 
a lack of adventure in rugby league because what are they going to do? They're just going to tap that ball up and hit it for a couple of settlers and then put on a play. Whereas if you've got a scrum, that's the chance to be a little bit more and creative, it, a bit it, more inventive about your play. It didn't happen often, but it happened often enough. It felt like that you know someone would put something on from a scrum, whether it was the Eels or the Tigers or a couple of other clubs that managed to roll the dice. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge anyone this year to keep a tally of how many plays are put on from the tap that now takes place instead of a scrum. And I, I would be surprised if you need more than one hand to count how many moves are put on from that tap restart. And, and of course, as much as I praise the 40-20, we also have a 20-40, which it feels like it's punishing a team for a good set of defence. So yeah. the, the, there's just change for the sake of change. And it's the, it, it'd be one thing if they just implemented it for trial games to test, you know, to sort of field test these things and see how they play out. But they're just rushing through into the NRL. And so it is a bit old man yells at cloud here on the tip sheet today because, you know, a lot of – we're not talking about regular league purists here. We're talking about just fans in general that are trying to keep up with rule changes that are just being pushed through. And I understand that you want to keep people engaged and you want to expand the, the audience of rugby league. But you're flirting very close with, you know, making the game head towards touch football. That's what – can, can you explain to me how this how – this uh, elimination of the scrums came about was oh, to I, me it was just one of these rules that suddenly appeared at I, I don't really on a whim I think the 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 idea was the game is faster because you're not you're not setting for a scrum but if they wanted to not it's about the gaming faster they wanted people to play the game just make the ball if the ball is dead the clock is dead that way you play 80 minutes of football so you can still set a scrum and then bring it on, but I, I, don't, I don't know. It, it's For the Andes. Yeah, he's done some great stuff with the game, but that between, it's, I mean, it's not obviously it's not just Philandis's fault, but it's you know the rules committee too, and and all those sort of things, and it just feels like sometimes they're trying to force stuff for the sake of having stuff changed. So, mate, I'm I'm showing my age now with uh, getting angry about this sort of stuff, especially when we're just about to get round one and the footy's back <laughs> on. So uh, we should probably end on a positive note with um, with being um, being happy about the game starting up again this week and, and that we're going to have crowds. And don't get it wrong, we are very pumped up for football being back and the Parramatta Eels getting out to Brisbane to play the Broncos. Mate, look, I don't think you'd be supporters if you weren't having a bit of a whinge about something. That's It goes hand-in-hand hand with being a footy supporter, doesn't it, mate? You've got yeah. to whinge about something. <laughs> and thankfully, we, the, we, the, thankfully, the Eels haven't given us much to whinge about, so we're talking about the rules. <laughs> <laughs> All righty, mate. I think that'll be a wrap on yet another episode of the Tip Sheet. Oh, Don't mate, we got to give and we got to give another plug for where we'll be next Thursday. Yeah, that's it. He, he actually jumped the gun on me because 60s is so on the pool. Um, yeah, as we said before earlier in the show, if you want to come out live and catch us on Eels Lane, I think it's actually called the Green, and you, you can't mistake it because it's actually got green synthetic grass across most of it there, which is hence the name. Um, yeah, we'll be there from 4 p.m. to 5.30 before kickoff. I'm here to chat football. We've got a couple of our special guests, so be sure to be on hand because we're going Very to Very special guests, mate. Talk, talk on footy with people that are as big a fans as you'll ever know and, and perhaps some of the best Eels to have ever put on a jersey. So... Yeah, maybe maybe bring bring down something to autograph. That might be a bit of a clue. <laughs> That's it. So we'll catch you all next week. Thanks for stopping by, guys. Cheers.